Wizard World Austin is upon us. From November 22nd to 24th, 2013, Austin, Texas will be kept that much weirder thanks to con appearances by Stan Lee, Mark Bagley, Neil Adams, Dennis O'Neill, Greg Land, Greg Capullo, Smallville's Erica Durantz, William Shatner, Robert Rodriguez, Norman Reedus, Tombstone's Michael Rooker, Bruce Freakin' Campbell, Ralph Macchio, the one from Karate Kid, not the Marvel editor, James Hong, Smallville's James Marsters, Scott Bakula, and shitloads of others. But most importantly of all, His Excellency Trentus Magnus himself will be in attendance with his lovely girlfriend Stacy. Wizard World Austin. Because San Diego is for pussies and hipsters. everybody, Magnus here. I'd just like to warn everyone in advance that my show in general isn't usually family-friendly stuff. That's not the kind of show I want to have. At least not right now. But even by that reckoning, this episode has quite a lot of profanity in it. So listener discretion is not only advised, it's actively encouraged. Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. Dr. Doom wears body armor to conceal his own mangled form. Worst episode ever. Why? Who shot first? Yeah. Who gives a shit? It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important. Well, can't say you weren't warned. So, hello and welcome back to Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. I'm your host, Trentus Magnus, and I talk about comics, movies, TV shows, World War I, Renaissance art, the Bolshevik Revolution, smart cars, and the Hindenburg. But, I never discuss graphic novels. You will never hear any discussion about graphic novels on this show. I talk about comics a fair bit, but not graphic novels. Never graphic novels. Anyway, I'm nearing the end of my Superman Begins miniseries, where I look back at various Superman origin stories that have been published in various comic books. All as part of the build-up toward the release of Man of Steel on Blu-ray. But... This week's show relates to an origin story that has seriously fucking split the fanbase. One group loved it, the other hated it, but it seemed like nobody was neutral, so... Sit back, relax, I'll try to make this as painless as possible. And so, into the summaries we go. We are talking about Superman Secret Origin. Writer is Jeff Johns, artist is Gary Frank, and inker is Jonathan Sabal. And so we begin. While playing football, a young Clark Kent accidentally breaks Pete Ross's arm. 
The next day, Clark panics when he discovers X-ray vision and nearly burns down his school with his heat vision upon kissing Lana Lang. Clark's parents, Jonathan and Martha Kent, realize it's time and they show him the rocket that brought him to Earth. The rocket reveals a holograph of Jorel and Lara, who tell him about themselves and the planet Krypton, and that he's not one of them. Elsewhere in Smallville, a young Lex Luthor discovers a chunk of kryptonite and takes it to a street fair the next morning where he is selling his stuff. There, he and, and now glasses wearing Clark meet. After Clark becomes weak and almost damages the kryptonite, a tornado appears without warning, and he rescues Lana while learning he can fly. Later, he tells his parents what happened and that he wants to help people. Martha determines he'll need an indestructible outfit and makes one based on the wardrobes from the holographic images. Clark tries it on and swears that he'll never wear it again. A drunken Lionel Luther. Lex's father, drives off a cliff but is rescued by Clark. Because he's embarrassed by the costume, no one ever sees the rumored flying boy. After Lex refuses to be friends and Lana leaves because Clark just wants to be friends and overhearing other kids teasing him, a depressed Clark is amazed to meet Cosmic Boy, Saturn Girl, and Lightning Lad from the Legion of Superheroes. The Legionnaires bend their rules to take Clark to the future, but once they arrive, they fight a group of human supremacists. After the fight, Brainiac 5 angrily reminds them of consequences of their actions, and the Legionnaires return Clark to the present. They leave Clark with a Legion flight ring with which to communicate, though agreeing telepathically not to tell him about his future. As Clark describes the, the future to his parents, Clark stops a rocket heading toward their house to reveal Crypto inside. Later, upon hearing that his father died from heart failure, a gleeful Lex Luthor plans to use Lionel's insurance policy to go to Metropolis. Years later, a now adult Clark Kent walks around Metropolis awestruck. Arriving at the dilapidated Daily Planet, he meets Rudy Jones, the overweight janitor, as well as the staff that consists of Ron Troop, Steve Lombard, Cat Grant, photographer intern Jimmy Olsen, and finally, Lois Lane and Perry White. Because billionaire and businessman Lex Luthor nearly killed the planet financially because of a story they had about him, Perry forbids Lois to get involved with Luthor. Ignoring the warning, Lois takes Clark, her new partner, to LexCorp. Lois disguises herself and sneaks inside LexCorp while, Le while Clark distracts the guards as planet reporters are not welcome at any LexCorp events. Lois watches as Lex unveils Metallo, his, his powered exoskeleton battlesuit, but she's found by security guards. She flees, but a mistake sends her falling from the roof. Clark sneaks into an alley, changes into his costume, and rescues her, revealing his superpowered self to the public. While in awe over the flying man, others are scared and the police question him. Clark flees, fearing that he's made a big mistake. Lex's daily tradition is to select someone from a crowd around his tower and provide them with a new life. The newest member happens to be Rudy. Rudy is brought in and offered all he can eat. He eats a donut that was dropped in bio-waste, which causes him to turn into something hideous. Curious about the flying man, Lex meets with Lois and Clark. 
Clark leaves to confront Rudy as the Parasite. Clark manages to get Parasite out of the building and frees him. The people are grateful, but don't know what to make of Clark. It becomes worse when Lex arrives and claims the flying man isn't even human. Clark leaves, and on the roof of the Daily Planet, sees Jimmy on the ledge. They talk about how they're currently feeling, with Jimmy thinking of returning to New York. Clark persuades Jimmy to stay, since he's his only friend in Metropolis, and permits Jimmy to take his picture. The next issue of the Daily Planet runs with Lois's story, and Jimmy's picture, naming Superman as the city's new savior. Lex, furious, declares personal war on Perry White. After Superman puts out a fire in the Daily Planet's main warehouse, he, t- he he's speaks with Jimmy and Lois and says that the fire was arson, part of an attack on the planet. While still wary, public, op- public opinion is improving on Superman, thanks to the planet, and their circulation rises by 700%. Lex calls upon General Sam Lane, Lois's father, who agrees to help Lex in exchange for weapons technology. Lex reveals that Superman is an alien and can likely be stopped by the Kryptonite Rock, which Lex has and which also powers the Metallo Battlesuit. Lois is greeted by Sergeant John Corbin, with whom her father prefers she have a relationship. Lois refuses to date him, but John persists and Clark steps in when Corbin begins to get abusive with Lois. John leaves to meet Lex and Sam and agrees to pilot Metallo. Clark takes Lois to lunch where she continues to notice that he's not all he seems to be. Clark hears an an explosion and leaves to become Superman, but the explosion was a fake. Sam Lane caused it in order to meet Superman. Sam accuses him of being an alien and wants to know what his goals are, particularly with Lois. Superman, feeling as if he's being interrogated, tries to leave, but Sam tells Superman that if he leaves, he'll be declared an enemy. Superman leaves anyway, and Sam orders the army to attack. The soldiers do little to Superman, but John, in the Metallo suit, manages to weaken them by exposing him to to the kryptonite. Ricocheting bullets hit the kryptonite, which explodes and injures John and allows Superman to escape. Sam and his troops arrive at the Daily Planet and order it shut down until they can get definitive answers about Superman. Lex takes John into surgery and replaces his heart with a kryptonite generator, turning him into Metallo. Sam reveals to Lois, Perry, and the Daily Planet that Superman is an alien. While Jimmy distracts the soldiers with his camera, Lois escapes. Soldiers find Superman in the sewers, and the battle erupts into into one of the main streets of the city. Metallo enters the fight, injuring his own soldiers in order to get to Superman. Lois arrives to warn him about the kryptonite and tells him to leave, but he refuses to give up. Metallo attacks Superman with a kryptonite ray, threatening the bystanders. Superman melts a manhole cover in order to cover the kryptonite and and flies Metallo into space until the lack of oxygen knocks him out. Sam arrives and orders Superman and Lois arrested. The crowd turns on the army, and Superman orders the crowd to stop, telling them that they, not the army, not Lex Luthor, nor himself are meant to be Metropolis' saviors. Superman meets with Lex and tells him Metropolis doesn't belong to him anymore. Lex angrily objects, since Superman isn't even from Earth. Superman replies that this is his home, and then he leaves. Later, Lex goes to pick another person from the crowd to give a new life to, only to find no one there. The Daily Planet celebrates becoming the top newspaper in the city. Superman visits Lois atop the Daily Planet building and thanks her for making him feel like he belongs there. 
He starts the planet's rusty globe spinning again. Lois asks, are you a man or an alien? His response is, I'm Superman, Lois, and then flies across Metropolis. <sighs> okay. You know, of all the Superman Begins shows I planned out, this is the one I dreaded the most. As I said, this was a fairly polarizing story when these issues first came out. Or I should say trickled out because it was so fucking late. But who cares? The trade paperback came out on time and that's what matters. Fucking hacks. But there's a very obvious problem with this miniseries and I don't know if there's a term for it exactly, but basically external media are way too influential on this comic book. And I'm not sure what to call that exactly. Media corruption? Adaptation sneak? Whatever you want to call it, this isn't a comic book story. It's basically Superman the movie, Smallville, Superman the animated series, and maybe a few other things, tossed into a blender, cranked up to 11, and whatever the fuck it came out was poured into six issues of Secret Origin. The results suffer on both artistic and technical levels. On the artistic level, we never really get the Jeff Johns version of Superman. Looks like Jeff Johns was solely influenced by movies and television and never cracked open a comic book about Superman, anyway, a day in his life. For another thing, and to be specific about that, his depiction of young Lex in Smallville was just fucking horrible. I mean, why in the fuck would Clark want to be friends with someone like that? I mean, they have all of one and a half conversations with each other, Lex treats him like shit the entire time, and what, this is a dear treasured friend? of Clark's. I mean, they weren't even friends. That was the whole point. Lex, Lex declined to be friends with them. As with Power Girl remembering Earth 2, my guess is that Jeff Johns imagined how Clark and Lex got along with each other in the old pre-crisis comics. You know, well, this is probably how it happened. And then he wrote based upon that. And something else... Jeff Johns didn't have to keep the element of Lex growing up in Smallville. He could have removed it if he'd wanted to. I was told throughout this series again and again that Jeff Johns was going to pay it off somehow. Lex spending time in Smallville would go somewhere in this miniseries. Well, the only payoff, quote-unquote, that we get is Lex making fun of Clark's glasses when they're adults. That's it. That's the payoff. Clark has dumb glasses. Apart from all that stuff, for reasons obvious and not so obvious, I'm actually kind of glad Secret Origin didn't stick around all that long. I mean, could you imagine having to explain Parasite's origin to a new fan? Uh, yeah. Um, the guy ate a toxic donut, and it turned him into a giant fucking purple monster. Somehow. And he can fuck Superman shit up anytime he wants now. All because of a toxic donut. I mean, fuck's sake. <sighs> oh, and another thing. 
if it's only been a week or two since Superman debuted in uh, in, in Secret Origin, which I think it, that's kind of that's just what it feels like a week, maybe two weeks tops. So if it's only been a week or two since Superman debuted, Superman really didn't have much time to make the kinds of moral evaluations that he does about Lex in this story. True. Everything Superman says to Lex was on point. Alright? It's just that for not ever really knowing the guy back in Smallville and for barely even seeing what he'd done to Metropolis... Superman sure made a lot of leaps in logic about Lex's character and what he tries to do in giving the people of Metropolis a new life. At least I'm assuming that's Superman's motivation in smack-talking Lex uh, in issue number six. The alternative is that he knew that Lex was somehow behind the kryptonite and Metallo's rebirth and all that stuff. If that's what Superman thought... Well, you can multiply everything I just said by about a million because there's no way Superman could have known that Lex was behind all that shit. And that leads to something else. This isn't really a Superman versus Lex story. It's about Superman versus General Thunderbolt Ross. I mean, Sam Lane. Sorry, General Sam Lane. Lex is almost a background player in Secret Origin, and... Honestly, I think he should be more of a front-and-center villain if you're going to put him into a Superman origin story. You know, he's not the kind of character that you stick in the background when you're telling Superman's origin. If you're going to do it, do it. Anyway, on the technical level, this story is paced like absolute shit. Now, I wouldn't be surprised to find out that issues 5 and 6 were added pretty late in the game because of how shot to absolute fucking hell the pacing is. From the time Superman makes his debut, like I said, I'm guessing Secret Origin takes place over the course of a week or maybe two weeks at the most. But somehow, somehow, Superman completely fucking reinvents the culture and the morality of, of the entire city of Metropolis in that time. It's just tough to believe. It, it feels way too rushed. And I guess other technical problems. This is my... this We come to kind of my... My main beef with retcons. You always have collateral damage. And unintended consequences with retcons. Superman's secret origin is no exception. Don't believe me? Alright. Bust this. Dan DiDio and Jeff Johns both said that everything that about the Burn Age was still in continuity... Uh, as far as Secret Origin is concerned. Literally, the only thing that changed was the origin itself. Now think about that for a minute. They said the only thing that changed was the origin. The stories themselves were all still in continuity. Alright? If that's so, that means Alice White is a cougar. Lois and Clark must have been visiting a ghost in the hospital when... Clark proposed to Lois, and I guess Lex had crazy early-onset male pattern baldness or something. But here's my personal favorite, the creme de la creme. In Adventures of Superman, number 468, Hank Henshaw departs Earth after taking possession of the rocket which brought Superman to Earth as, well, he wasn't even a baby, he was a fetus. Now, 
Since Superman made the trip from Krypton to Earth as a fetus and not a toddler, his genetic code was imprinted into the birthing matrix that had been attached to the ship. He wasn't actually born until he arrived on Earth. Henshaw, hearing of Superman's death at the hands of Doomsday, essentially made a clone of Superman with cybernetic components fashioned from Kryptonian metals, and then he returned to Earth as the cyborg Superman with a long-range plan of destroying Earth to remake it into the new war world, and, in so doing, stain Superman's reputation across the entire cosmos. Secret Origin number one makes that utterly fucking impossible. As Superman arrived on Earth as a toddler, there would be no need for his ship to have any kind of record of his, uh, of his DNA code. As there's no need for his genetic code to be recorded in the ship, it wouldn't be. That means Henshaw couldn't have obtained Superman's genetic code. Which means Henshaw couldn't have come back to Earth as the cyborg Superman. Which means Henshaw couldn't have destroyed Coast City in his efforts to remake Earth into the New War World. Which means Hal Jordan couldn't have gone crackers and killed the entire fucking Green Lantern Corps. Which means Kyle Rayner could never have become Green Lantern. Which means Hal could never have become Parallax. Which means Hal never stopped being a Green Lantern. And thus Jeff Johns' own restoration of Hal Jordan into DC continuity should have been completely fucking superfluous. And shit, take this to the logical extreme, and Zero Hour should never have happened, thus the post-Zero Hour Legion could never have existed, and thus restoring the original Legion shouldn't have even been necessary. Unintended consequences, folks. Now, on the one hand, I want to take it easy on Jeff Johns, at least a little, because it's not like I ever met the guy. And the people I know who have met him all say he's a hell of a cool guy. But very honestly, Jeff Johns has kind of been on my shit list ever since Legion of Three Worlds and the way he portrayed Superboy Prime and, by extension, comic book fans. Now, he's taken some abuse for that, and so one particular school of thought says I should have sympathy for him. But I can't find sympathy. You know, maybe I left it in the dictionary. Somewhere between shit and syphilis. More unintended consequences, I guess. <sighs> anyway, I can't even talk about that stuff anymore. I'm going to have a fucking heart attack. I'm going to fucking die. <sighs> I guess we should probably talk about Gary Frank's art. Now, it's been said a thousand times that his vertigo style just isn't suited for Superman. Shit, I've said so myself, in fact. I haven't changed my mind, either. And then there's that whole Christopher Reeve thing. Here's a story that never fucking gets told. Superman guest starred in Supergirl during Gary Frank's run. Back in the 90s. True shit. And in that story, Gary Frank didn't even attempt to make Superman look like Christopher Reeve. I have to wonder just what the fuck changed in the interim. Now, Gary drew a lot of characters in this book of whom only one was Superman but the Reeve thing is mostly what people seem to remember you know what fuck it I can't even do this anymore I'm gonna I'm gonna play some promos and that then that'll be it take it easy
together from the disparate reaches of geekdom, here in this restaurant booth are the most powerful forces of geek ever assembled. Ryan, the toy geek. Scott, the award-winning radio host. Jeff, Scott's minion. And Ron, just Ron. Dedicated to truth, justice, and geek for all mankind. It's Dinner for Geeks. Dinner for Geeks proudly crusades at twotruefreaks.com. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Mike. Man, it sure is great to be back to from crisis to crisis after all this time. It's been a busy year for both of us. For very different reasons. But now we're ready to cover the post-death and return Superman stories. Yeah, and we're about to start the books that came out in 1994, which means that we have so much to look forward to, like Bizarro's World. The Battle for and Fall of Metropolis. Superman Doomsday, Hunter, Prey. Worlds Collide. Well, you're looking forward to that one. Oh, bite me. Zero hour. Zero month. And right there at the end, we have Dead Again. And don't forget, the Elseworlds annuals as well. Well, most of them, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. some of those really did suck, don't they? But From Crisis to Crisis is back. New episodes will drop on Thursday, just like before. You can find the show at the Superman homepage, www.supermanhomepage.com, as well as at the Superman Podcast Network, which is at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. And we also have a Facebook page that you can like by going to www.facebook.com slash from crisis to crisis a superman podcast.com. Is it dot com on there? No. No, no, it's not. No, no dot com. Forget that. <laughs> so from crisis to crisis is back, folks, and better than ever. Well, I'm better than ever. You need some work. No, shut up. No, you 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 shut up. From crisis to crisis, a Superman podcast covering the post-crisis adventures of Superman, one half month at a time, every Thursday at www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailitude.com I prowl the rooftops and alleyways at night, searching for justice, blind justice, a guardian devil. (coughs) No, 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 that's not actually true. I'm not Daredevil, blind attorney by day and fearless crime fighter by night. No, I am J. David Weeder, a podcaster. But you can call me Dave. I do read about Daredevil and his adventures, and I podcast about it on my show, Dave's Daredevil Podcast. You see, it's it's my Daredevil. You get it. You get it. Every Sunday, I read a Daredevil comic and share my thoughts and feelings on the issue, the characters, and the world of Marvel's Man Without Fear in an easily accessible audio form. And I want to take you along for the ride, so tune in each week as we meet Daredevil, his villains, his loves, and more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at. That is every Sunday on iTunes and at www.daredevilpodcast.com. That is daredevilpodcast.com. Take the dare. Listen to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Did I really just say take the dare? Hey everybody, Magnus here. 
I've got an announcement to make. Moving day is coming. I'm here to confirm that the rumors are all true. Yes, Magnus Media Enterprises Limited is being bought out by Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. Lawyers from both sides are still currently hashing out the finer details, but what this means for my loyal subjects is that Trentus Magnus, Punch's Reality, will soon join up with the Two True Freaks podcast network, which can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. For right now, the target launch date is November the 26th, 2013, but you never know if, when, or how things may change but that's the plan for the moment. As a side note, I'd like to add that this move will not result in any changes in content. Additionally, there are no circumstances where I'll be laid off and the operation of Trentus Magnus Punches Reality be turned over to podcasters in India. Everything will proceed as it has been. I'll add additional details as they become available, but I'd like to thank all of you for your support and I hope you'll continue once we've moved over to the TTF feed. Please watch the Trentus Magnus Facebook page for additional details. I think that's just about the end of that. You can find the home for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality at magnus.libson.com. But that's about to change. I'm preparing to move to the Two True Freaks podcast network, and the target launch date for that is November of 2013. You can also find Trentus Magnus Punches Reality on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook by searching for Trentus Magnus, which on Facebook is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-S-M-A-G-N-U-S-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trentusmagnus at gmail.com, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play, so keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promo section. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is copyright Magnus Media Enterprises Limited, Wisconsin Falls, California, in association with the Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. <laughs>